Hey, Ross, uh, well, let's start here. Uh, throughout the years, you need, uh, you've been able to see a lot of great athletes come and go uh, out of this valley. Uh, when, what has really, if you could, promote Cache Valley High School athletics and the great athletes we have here in the valley and have had here in the valley? You know, I was thinking about that today when uh, I was thinking about one graduate of Logan High, one graduate of Skyview. Uh, the one out of Skyview is Connor Mance. The kid from Logan was uh, Gerald Mock. They're both uh, distance runners. I think one was trying to qualify for the Olympics in the marathon. Another maybe in, you know, one of those obscene long races. But uh, these are kids that have, you know, they're now getting up in their early 20s. And they go notice because they're great. But one of the problems we've always had is uh, our athletes, they almost have to win things to be noticed. Uh, it's, it's like a geographic isolation and also to some degree a media isolation. But uh, but when kids really, really work hard, uh, they have and, and, you know, we try to find them all here at the university, as many as we've got sports to cover, but still occasionally some of them get, get away from us. But on the other hand, the, the, the Valley through time has produced some amazing athletes, not just college, but some that even in the early days before there was really big ticket professional sports, uh, we're having an opportunity to participate. Uh, and then there, there's some sports that we've kind of forget about a little bit like women's softball. I think two of the greatest softball pitchers in Utah history, women's softball pitchers, were uh, Wilma Abrams from College Ward and Fern Gardner, who was at Utah State for many years and coached our team. But they played for the Utah Shamrocks back in the 40s and 50s, would play international competition, and were just as good as they got. And so uh, I think it's always been part of our culture, uh, the amateur aspect and uh, – Nowadays, it just seems like if someone isn't going to get a call to the league, then uh, we kind of don't take notice of them. But we've had some amazing people come through this valley. Well, and, and Ross, as you've kept an eye on things from uh, your perspective, watching these different athletes in various different sports and how things have progressed, things the way that sports are handled, maybe that's the best term to use, um, it has really changed a lot, especially over the last 10, 15 years, I'd say, just with uh, uh, maybe a, a hyper-focus on specialization. Sports, uh, certain sports are basically year-round now. I mean, it used to be you'd have a season for baseball, then you'd have a season for soccer, you'd have a season for football, you'd have a season for basketball. They all be separate and isolated from each other, but... Um, now it seems like you have to pick what sport you're going to do and just stick with it. Yeah, and I think they do it at, at almost too early an age because sometimes you don't know how the size a person might be or how quick they're going to become as they mature. But, you know, part of it's uh, driven by parents who want to have excellence for their children. Uh, you know, you get the club teams, you get the whole mentality now of, uh, of how soccer operates and it has had a big influence you know in this valley and and also now all you know the united states is is really working hard to try to catch up but 
but they'd pick those kids when they're pretty young. And then if you get on one of the traveling teams, if you're that good, then it becomes pretty hard to play one of those other sports. And the other thing is a lot of families are sacrificing a lot to pay for it. And so um, my boys, uh, you know, did what you described. You just go from one sport to the other. And, and then pretty soon by the end, they were having, you know, AAU basketball in the spring and, and all the summer camps. And then the football coaches wanted weightlifting and they used to have a passing league and, and it just wore you out. The kids couldn't even get a job, you know, or have a job. But, uh, yeah, that's been, I think, one of the biggest changes. In in light of that, though, the, the, there's been several athletes, and we, we're seeing it today. I mean, there's a couple that really, really stand out for those multi-sport athletes that really stand out. Mason Falso is probably the best example of that right now. It may go down as one of the best that we've seen in Cache Valley for a very long time where he's excelled in basketball and in football. Um, what are, who, do you recall, what are some of the multi-sport athletes that stand out in your mind when you look back over time? Oh, uh, you know, uh, I, I can go back, you know, part from when I came here as a student, 1959, and then, you know, when I came back to teach in 71. But, uh, you know, one that comes to mind uh, I mean, Blair Hodson, who was at Logan High in the late 80s, um, blew out his knee in a non-contact in the state championship football game, I think when he was a junior, ended up going to Yale and becoming a professional baseball player uh, with a Yale degree. And uh, but, but his body got, he got torn up pretty bad. It was one of the worst knee things I've ever seen, it just in that old turf down at at the Rice Eccles Stadium, but but he could have excelled as a quarterback, and he and he certainly was a was a natural baseball player. Um, you know, I think uh, my middle son was all state in both basketball and football, and chose to go play baseball, and ended up uh, having you know three years in the minor leagues. And then uh, Aaron Thatcher was an interesting case because. Mm. Aaron was Aaron was an above average, pretty good size, six 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 seven, basketball player, and uh, you know I think was probably drafted in baseball higher than any other anyone I can remember from the valley. Uh, may have been someone different, but I but I think he was drafted in the fifth round by the Twins, and and then he got hurt. He, and uh, you know a pitcher <laughs> that that can be your death. You know one elbow injury. And he, then he went on a mission and came back and hurt it again. But, but as an athlete and two sport athlete, he 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 was very good. There have been there have been many others over time. I people I, I never witnessed him play basketball in high school, but uh, Merlin Olson had great feet, and of course he's known for football. But uh, when when in the old days. Uh, before they got paid very much, Merlin came back to school for a couple of years to complete a master's degree after he was playing with the Rams. And one year he got together with a church basketball team with uh, Phil Johnson and Lanny Nalder, Lanny Gunnell. I mean, it was a stack team. They were probably cheating in some way, but you know. <laughs> yeah, that's I, a pretty good size, pretty <laughs> well-known group there. <laughs> well, Phil had just Phil had been a year out of Utah State and been a graduate assistant. And they were big, and they and they won the all church, and so 
Y'all church said we can't have students playing with old people anymore. But anyway, they're just a ton of them over time. And and I don't know, some of those guys could be like uh, Mason Falstaff. I think, uh, you know, I think a great, uh, he he isn't from the Valley, but, he, but his roots are here. I mean, Sam Merrill played uh, football, basketball, and baseball. And uh, I think graduated like in 2014. So that hasn't been that long ago. Uh, an awful lot of people will tell you, I've heard Nolan Ryan talk about it a lot, that he thinks uh, he thinks it's best for kids to, to play the other sports, use different muscles, work on different aspects. It's just really so hard anymore the way that it's structured. Uh, and if, you, if you're thinking of going beyond and trying to do something beyond your high school, you've almost got to make yourself available for a variety of camps or invitations. There's just so many different things going on. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of young women that that do it and do it successfully. And uh, I think that's been a real change to the opportunities that we've received. So, yeah, I, I think it's possible but the parents have got to be tough. The coaches have got to be a little less egocentric. And uh, and the kids have got to have fun. It's just got to get – and, of course, if you're going to win state championships, it's fun. But, you know, I mean, if you're going to work that hard at that many sports and, and you know, be concerned about um, a football injury costing your basketball, if you're already committed to a basketball scholarship, that's something you have to take into consideration. and. I think a lot of kids have not done it for that reason. Ross Peterson, Cash Valley Sports Historian here joining us on the Full Court Press. Ross, back in the day when it was a Region 4, and there was, I mean, there was Skyview, Logan, and Mountain Crest battling it out for supremacy, bragging rights, and whatever. How meaningful was the rivalries back then in the day? Because it's not like today where everyone's best friends from everywhere at school. Back then, it was legit rivalry. We didn't like you. They didn't like us. Logan Skyview Mountain Crest. Well, I think even even before that, you know, there was was almost nearly a 20-year period where it was just Logan and Skyview. When they consolidated North Cash and South Cash, you know, in the old North Cache, South Cache, Logan world, they were uh, they were pretty intense. But during the, the Skyview Logan years, they tried to play their football game in the stadium, the, the Aggie Stadium. And after the Spectrum was built, when I first came back here to teach, the, the Logan Skyview basketball game was as good as it got in the Spectrum. And so they they do that twice a year for basketball, and it was very very intense and uh, and a lot of nastiness, you know, that went along with that with the rivalries. Uh, and then when Mountain Crest was split off, uh, I think they started the fall of '83. Uh, it, it it seemed to me that their first their their first real opponent that they cared deeply about was Skyview, and part of that was kind of the way they got split up and and who got cut the year before and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, I think in watching that up close, that was a little more intense than the Logan got into the middle of it. And uh, and it was something that, you know, every game was well attended. 
they stopped having them in the spectrum, but they they would fill the rec center, they would fill the other gyms, and um, you know football was always big, uh, but for every sport, and then, you know, what's interesting, I think you brought up another point that I saw both with my older sons, it was primarily led by, uh, eventually, Stu Howe, who coached baseball at Logan High, as soon as the baseball season was over, he'd put together an American Legion team from all three high schools, and make them very, very competitive in the state. And, you know, a lot of those kids have been playing against each other since uh, the old county little league days. And uh, Logan had their own little league, and you didn't have the WB or whatever, Western Boys Baseball. And and so to have those kids play together and develop a team where they could become very competitive, you know, kind of showed that, hey, this is not a lifetime hatred experience. You don't just hold it against someone because they went to Skyview and your children went to Logan or Mountain Crest or vice versa. And uh, I just think a lot of people, you know, evolved into a greater appreciation of the success of the of the young people from whatever high school. So then by now when there are five of them, you know, it's kind of like a, a community at large with, uh, you know, a lot of good feelings not that intense late, and especially now that uh, after this year, I think most of the kids that went to school at Skyview together graduated. So then, then it'll it'll have a new dynamic. But uh, I'm just glad that they've split the schools. More kids get an opportunity to participate, whether it's you know theater or arts or uh, band, symphony, what have you, uh, drill teams. There, there's just so much many more opportunities when you make keep the schools a little smaller. Again, we're talking to Ross Peterson. Um, in the, not only does he kept an eye on sports historically around here, but he's also done a lot of stuff at Utah State University. And uh, Ross, what was some of the roles that you played uh, as a, from an, a professor at Utah State, but you had some involvement in athletics in different times of your career? What was that connection? Well... That's a, that's a good question, and, and in a way, you know, it's probably something that uh, I went overboard on because, and and I think, it, although I always had a great interest in sports, when I was teaching down at the University of Texas before I came up to Utah State, um, I had a graduate professor uh, up in Washington that got me interested in African-American and so to, to Utah State, one of the classes I was to teach, the class on history of African Americans, and then I ended up dividing it into the also a class on the Civil Rights Movement. Well, that gave me an opportunity to meet an awful lot of athletes through time, because a good share of the uh, athletes would end up, uh, you know, especially the African American kids in one of those two classes. And often I was thinking about uh, when I first met Donald Penn, you know, it was in when I was teaching a big U.S. US history class, a survey. And that's what it is with a lot of them. And so I think I've always felt that from the teachers I had when I was a student here, that that your first responsibility is to the students. And you try to provide for them the best classes and the best opportunities. And, and that doesn't matter about race or whether they're an athlete or not. 
but it, it just happened, I think, because of, um, you know, situations. Like when I first moved here, I was a neighbor to Dutch Belknap, who was the assistant basketball coach, then the head coach. And he used to he used to take me out recruiting with him so I could drive home so he could sleep. You know, and I was a lot younger then. And, uh, <laughs> before wow. I had a few, a few extra tickets. And so it was all right for me to drive a state car. But anyway... They, uh, it was just things like that, and then the uh, the opportunity to see how a college education really changed lives, because an awful lot of the athletes, this is their one chance at school, and uh, and I just think that what we can do to help them, because not all of them are going to go professional, not even a, a double digit percentage, you know. So we've got to have them prepared to be ready to do something else besides what they've done for a long, long time athletically. And it's just one of those things where you could track the people. They, they were uh, they, they were more inclined to come to study groups. It used to be the coaches would force them, uh, you know, to do that. But I think I just developed a lot of relationships that uh, – you know, it's one of the things I'm doing now while I'm just hanging out at home is is every day I'll try to contact 10 former students. And a lot of them are athletes, and a lot of them are, are people that I've stayed in touch with over the time. But, but uh, you know, it's interesting. I was Again, I was just caught up in the Olympics a bit, but I remember when uh, Mark Enyart was running here. I think one of my most thrilling times as an Aggie fan the NCAA finals were held in, I think it was 1976, down at BYU. And Enyart made it into the, the finals. Uh, we had gone down and watched him in the semifinals. And then Ralph Maughan, by the way, was also a neighbor. He lived next to Dutch. But anyway, uh, so we went down there to watch that and to see him win that NCAA meet. And I think at the time, that maybe qualified him to run one more race to get into the Olympics in Montreal. And and I think that was that was just a great thing. And then, you know, he made a choice after he graduated to train four more years because he wasn't happy how he did at the Olympics to try to make the, the uh, 1980s in Moscow. And then shortly before they were going to have him, they had a boycott and, and he never ran again, you know, and uh, had a career in the FBI. But, but there are just so many of those types of stories that come from watching these kids as they develop, and you have to have a lot of appreciation for how hard they work, uh, how much is required of them. And at college, you know, at college is year-round. And, and, you know, they have a... Ross, we, hey, Ross, we've kind of lost you there. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, there you go. I, I was. Just, did you hear me talk about Mark Anyer? Yeah, yes. you were just talking about you just just your most recent stuff about uh, the college part. Yeah, I was just saying college is hard work, and they work year round, and they have opportunities. You know, that's why so many guys are eligible for the graduate transfer portal, because they've been going to summer school since they came here, and uh, and they're you know they get they get through their undergraduate degree in close to three years, and so if they're not happy, they can move on. But anyway, Ross, can you uh, can you stay with us through a break really quickly and then continue with us? 
Oh, yeah. You got to stop me every once in a while because I get diarrhea. <laughs> no, this is great stuff. We've enjoyed it. We were just, we were like, we, we were like, hey, we want to keep going. Should we hit a break first? If you'll stick with us through a break, we'll come back and let's continue this conversation with you. Thank you. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. The Full Court Press, Eric France and LJ Salveson. Special guest joining us on the uh, on the telephone. Grateful to have him. Ross Peterson, Cash Valley Sports Historian, uh, has given some great stories thus far. This has been fun. Uh, Ross, i got to ask you, Nate Harris. I remember watching Nate Harris versus Jake Caressa at a game, basketball game at Mountain Crest, and Nate put up 43 points, I believe, and just dominated that game. And Scavio won by like 25. Was Nate Harris, uh, give me your top three basketball players that you've seen in the Valley. You mean from kids here in the Valley? Yes, please. Not not the university? Uh, well, yeah, let's do Valley first. Um, that's, that's really, really hard. I think, uh, you know, because you see him, and I don't want to leave the impression that all I do is go to ball games, but... Pretty much all I do is go to ball games. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I have another life. I, I teach. I write books. I have a family, wonderful wife, and she, I've been blessed because she likes to go with me. But I, I really, uh, it's hard to say because the game changes through time. Okay, so let me ask you this then. Where does Nate Harris stand in one of the great players you've seen in this valley? Well, again, uh you know, in his high school career, the evolution he made from a sophomore to a senior in footwork, positioning, expanding his range, uh, blocking out for rebounding, really, by the time he went to college, he was he was ready to go under Stu's system. And, and Stu, for big men, they didn't have to be huge. They had to be really smart, just just a little tougher than normal, and and I think Nate Nate kind of did that, but but he did it with a smile. Well, one of the things why people Nate never tried to be spectacular, you know what I mean? He just tried to play to the best of his ability, and I think in the success the team had, and in the role he played in the in on the team, I think he would he would probably rank very, very high. When, speaking of other players that uh, at the collegiate level that you got to see, uh, who were some of the ones that, that stood out to you? Well, I think probably maybe, maybe, and this, this is really going back for you guys, but I think probably the best high school player might have been Larisky from Logan. Mm. And... Uh, at the time, though, I mean, it's a different game now, but he was a huge man in high school, you know, and I'm talking about in the late 60s. I think his his years here playing were uh, 71, 72, 73, maybe. And uh, at the same time, Skyview had a guy by the name of Paul Jepson, who was a six foot three point guard that could control a whole game. And as far as going on to college, those guys stayed in the Valley played on teams that I think uh, I think Jepson I know went to the NCAA twice. I'm not sure Larisky did because we had that coaching change in the middle 
but but I think I think he was really really good, and and you know Tony was as good a high school player as come. I mean, a man that shoots like that and has no conscience, and he he comes by it genetically. Greg, his dad, was the same way, and Lance, his brother. I mean, they're great great high school players, but but Tony, uh, you know, to just fire it up all the time from anywhere. And I, th- I think that, uh, you know, there's some, been some other kids that uh, have come through that, you know, are playing in, when they like to play around the rim. You know, Jalen had a great high school run at Skyview, Jalen Moore. Uh, and and is you know, they didn't use him much when he was a sophomore, but, but uh, I, I don't know. I think that, uh, you know, and all those guys did well by us at Utah State as well. So I'm kind of prejudiced toward them because uh, they stayed in the valley. What do you remember about the 1987 state championship game between Skyview Mountain Crest at Romney Stadium? What was Romney Stadium? <laughs> yeah, the football game. Yeah, nine seven was oh. the final score. Yeah, it was. It was really. I think it was one of the most brilliant things they pulled off to bring that up here to Romney. Stadium. How did that work out, by the way? Do you know, like, how that all, I mean, because they were going to supposed to be playing, like, I think in Salt Lake, and then they were able to move it up here. Do you yeah, remember how did. that all kind of came about? And I think, I think some people, some people stood up to bankroll it a bit. So that, they didn't have to, because that was before we had the expansion. And there weren't many empty seats, because I, I know I was doing something down in Phoenix. And, uh, and we, Kay and I got on the plane early in the morning to get back. And it was, you know, a 1 o'clock game in, in you know, pretty late November, 1 p.m. And that, and that, that stadium was full. But it was a, a just a, a defensive game that just, it was all, almost always going to be determined on who made the worst turnover. But it was, it was a really, really fun, fun game. And that was... Uh, that was just a year after my son Bart had graduated, so we knew uh, an awful lot of those kids on both teams, and and it was uh, it was just really fun to see it and to have it in the stadium. Uh, but it was uh, it was a hard played football game with uh, with not a lot of offense. They just knocked it out. Jack Robinson was coaching out at Mountain Crest, and he had been the coach at Skyview. He had been a USU assistant, and he knew how to have people block and tackle and block and tackle. And it was just fight it out at the line of scrimmage, fellas. It was good. Uh, Ross, your time with Utah State, well, you were at Utah State. Um, Were you involved with uh, – well, let me put it this way. I know that sometimes – the the university, their athletics department, they involve other people on campus to be involved with either coaching searches or discussions about conference affiliation. Were you ever involved in some of those discussions? Uh, I was a little bit when um, you know we went we went through a very chaotic time when when most of the teams in the Big West gave up football, and this would have been like nineteen ninety nine two thousand period. And we were trying to, you know, we flirted with the, uh, uh, what do they call that? The, you know, the, it's still the, the Sun Belt. The, yeah, the Sun Belt. And so we were going, you know, to Arkansas State and Louisiana Tech and 
And uh, we're trying to put together a conference that went from Moscow, Idaho, to the Deep South. And uh, and there was a big debate for, for a little while there about maybe we ought to go independent again. And uh, I got in the middle of that. Did you have you heard about this? No. Well, they uh, we were also in a transition between athletic directors. Uh, president Emmert was the president, and uh, and uh, Chuck Bell had had left, and and they went through interim, uh, and uh, and the interim guys thought that we could make it as an independent. Well, I, I knew from my experience in when I first came here in the seventies for how hard it was to schedule basketball, how impossible it was to schedule football, how you to put together a schedule. And we're also right now at a time when you're going into uh, Title IX and full integration of women's athletics, and and you got to have a conference. I mean, you just can't afford to be sp- sending kids in the middle of the week to play games instead of a you know normal kind of schedule. And, but anyway, they tried uh, they tried independence maybe for a year or two, uh, and. And they, uh, and they, uh, you know, they, it, it didn't go, it didn't go. We quickly, uh, I think when, uh, when President Hall got here and hired Randy Spetman, we made the move to the WAC and that, that was great. And then of course, from there to the, I was involved as vice president of advancement when we got into the Mountain West and we had to make some really, um, I mean, that's, that's when we were in the in the real phase of expanding all the facilities. You know, the the football, the the weight room, the, the Estes Center. Uh, you know, the north end zone. And before we got to the stadium, we were putting all those pieces together, and a lot of it was done with private money. And and that's one of the things that I worked on. Not so much on the actual negotiations because they're very political and they're done almost all by university presidents and ads. What do you remember about the uh, the old school rivalries of uh, of BYU and Utah State in football when Lavelle Edwards was coaching? You know, I, I remember the basketball kind of more. Uh, the the football ones again. It was hard when you were an independent because often that ended up being in the eyes of many of the people your most important game. Yeah, good point. And when I until Lavelle took over. They were not very competitive, and uh, I remember going down there one night. And we beat him like nine to six. You know, it was like that Mountain Crest Skyview game. And uh, but but when they started really opening up that, uh, you know, going from Gifford Nelson to Mark Wilson to McMahon to Young, Bosco, all those quarterbacks getting a lot of receivers, tight ends. You know, it was hard. I, you know, I, I remember the victories. <laughs> I've forgotten the defeats because I lost a lot of religion over those defeats. But anyway, <laughs> the uh, the uh, we beat them up here. I think it was 1982 um, when Steve Young was a quarterback. We should have beat him the year before. It might have been 83 we beat him. Or maybe it was the year after down at Provo. We got a bad call. Al Garner intercepted a pass, but they claimed it hit the ground before. It was inside their five-yard line. But anyway, that's just the way I feel about the rivalry. But 
the whole. I think uh, you know. I think I think it's actually at a at a pretty good level now, and and part of it's brought about because of the the respect that the football coaches have for each other, and the fact that now BYU's on the outside looking in, that they're an independent, and you know they don't have year to year rivalries that count for them. So they got to do what they can do to, uh, you know, to satisfy the local people. And so they need to try to play Utah State and Utah every year. And so, you know, they were always treating us like, you know, well, you come down for two years and we'll come up there for one because they had a conference we didn't. And now it's kind of turned turned the tables a little. Uh, and, and, you know, we've had, we've had a good run. We didn't look very good this year, but we had a really good run. And I think will in the future. So it's, uh, you know, I think I think naturally it should be that we care an awful lot more about beating Boise in football because that's a conference. That's what's going to get you into the division, into the conference title game. You got to go through Boise, and so I think that should be the bigger rivalry. Uh, for the players themselves, because all of the schools recruit so heavily in Utah now, because there's so many college players, and a lot of them are related to the Polynesian community, the players themselves take those games, that BYU game, very seriously. They really do. And I've had a number of the kids from out of state say, watch, they just watch the demeanor of the Utah kids change when when they're going to play BYU. So uh, so I I just think you know there there are a lot of teams we need to beat. <laughs> and uh you know in the larger scheme of things to to get a good run against Boise is going to be more important. That's great stuff. Hey Ross, thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate you. Uh really really good stuff and uh nice little nice little jog down memory lane. Well, thanks a lot, and I appreciate what you guys do. And I know it's not easy to put things together as often as you do, but it's it's pretty important right now because people need to be reminded of uh, how important just the day-to-day things we do in life are, and especially how we can support and take care of one another.